journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov to all our listeners on 101.9 High FM. This is Adel Kozulski, and we're transversing the Bible and looking at the book of Beratius, Genesis. We are starting the exciting, or we've just started the exciting uh, chapter of Joseph and his brothers. And uh, yes, last week, I think we landed up finishing up in Joseph, giving them one of his famous dreams. As we know, Joseph was a dreamer. He dreamt up many, many, many things, and he didn't necessarily share it all the time with his brothers. Um, he does indeed only share two of his dreams. But as we know, one of the things that actually stands out of Yosef, of Joseph, is that he always was a dreamer, right? We see later on um, he's able to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker when he's thrown into prison in Egypt, and of course... Um, he goes and interprets the dreams of Pharaoh, and that allows him to become viceroy of Egypt. But going back to the early days where he's dreaming his own dreams, and we left off last week in chapter 37, in verse 8, I believe, okay, where his brothers actually have a bit of a meltdown when they hear what it is that he's dreaming and what the dream possibly could mean. And at that point in time, he just told them that he dreamt that he saw that his uh, sheaf in during harvest time was very tall and the others were not. And then they surrounded his sheaf, which, as we explained, is him giving prophecy about the fact that indeed his brothers were going to land up coming down to him in Egypt with his sheaf. His ability to look after the crop of Egypt um, had worked unbelievably well. He had stored up food, and he was now going to feed his starving family. But let's hit off on chapter, I'm sorry, verse 9 of chapter 37, and let's see the, the second dream, what, what the second dream had to do with, 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 uh, with, with Yosef. He says as follows, od acher. He dreams yet another dream. Otol echav. And he says the following to his brothers. Hinei od. Behold, I have dreamt another dream. Li. The sun and the moon and eleven stars Come and bow down to me. Vayisaper el Aviv. This was told both to his father, the el echav, and to his brothers. Vayigar bo Aviv. His father now, because now his father's heard about it, his father scolds him. Right? Vayomer lo, and he says to him, Jacob says to him, Mahachalom hazer ashechalamti. What is this dream? That you say you have dreamt, Sahalamta, Havo Navo Ani Havo Navo Ani vi Imcha Vehecha Lishavot Lacha Arta Are you prophesying prophesying? Are you saying that I and your mother and your brothers are going to come and bow down to you on the ground? Wow, 
It sounds like Yaakov is really upset here. Let's try dissect and see what, in fact, he was saying. Well, we know for starters that Yaakov is likened to the sun. And therefore, uh, if Yaakov was to the sun, then we would assume that Rachel, his mother, would be likened to the moon. And the 11 stars would be likened um, to, to his 11 brothers. So what Yaakov was really flabbergasted about was the fact that he said, your mother and father will bow down to you. How is it possible that that could be true? We know that Rachel passed away. So that really was, was Yaakov's you know, contention. Your mother's already dead. So could we go and say then that your dream is meaningless? And if you're saying that your dream is true, then that means you're telling me there will be the concept of Tchiatamaitim, resurrection of the dead in my lifetime. Okay? And that will be the only time that this dream can come true. Where Yaakov made a mistake was that the moon also alluded to Bila, who was Rachel's handmaiden. Why? Because in fact it was Bila who raised Yosef as her own son. Like I don't think anybody ever has thought about it. Who raised Joseph? Joseph's mother passed away very, very young when she was giving birth to Benjamin. So who in fact raised Yosef and Benjamin? It was in fact Bila. So did the did this dream have authenticity? Could it be true? Absolutely. And we know that it does come true because there comes a point in time where Yaakov and his family and his 11 brothers come down to Egypt and they all bow down before him. So again, as we said last week, and we'll probably be saying for a while, what, jo- what Yosef was seeing was not in fact false. It was in fact true. The problem is, is that one looks at different realities as we've spoken before. What was the result of him now not only sharing the dream with his brothers, a second dream with his brothers, but also um, sharing a dream of his uh, his um, to his father is that in fact um, not only do, do the brothers hate him, but now we see in verse eleven. That his brothers now became jealous of him and their father, it says, Shamar etadavar, kept the matter in mind. Now, we are told in the Midrash that Yaakov knew that Yosef's dream could come true. And that is why the verse says he kept the matter in, um, in mind. He knew that there is a saying from our rabbis that say, just as a grain cannot come, cannot be without chaff, so dreams cannot be without fiction. Meaning that there could be some type of uh, falseness to it, but there also could be some truth to this dream. And here, as we explained before, Bila was, uh, was the stepmother to Yosef. Others say that when it says, that his father kept it in mind, 
it says that it is actually an indication of hope, that he was hoping to see it will come. Like, when will that day come? Okay, and finally, we can see a swap that after the first dream, his brothers hated him, but they were not jealous of him. Because what they first thought that Yosef's dreams were nothing more than a reflection of his uh, daytime thoughts. So that didn't really have to cause too much jealousy. Dreams, you know, we know that dreams are merely a person's daytime thoughts coming into the night. Um, so they, 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 they hated him for the daydreams. But after his second dream, when Yosef said, I dreamt another dream, what is he saying? He's saying this second dream that I just that I just had demonstrates my first dream is also true. You can't go and keep on saying that, you know, I'm talking nonsense. And so what happened then was these brothers heard that and they became jealous of him. So the hatred turned into jealousy, meaning that they realized that his dreams were prophetical and that divine providence was informing him that he would in some, in some day, um, attain, attain greatness. So that's really how the hatred now changed into jealousy. And finally, one last thing. Um, there's a third opinion about the Avi Shamar et Adabar, that his father watched over the matter. Here the Midrash goes and says that the father here is not talking about Yaakov, but rather about God, that God, our father in heaven, father of the universe, um, was showing Yaakov Aviv the dream, and Yaakov saw many signs in Yosef that he was destined to be a ruler, and he foresaw that Yosef would be very successful, and he also understood that his, that his son's fortunes um, would descend. So, in fact, it was God that was showing this to Yaakov, not Yaakov himself. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, we are on, uh, we were on chapter, uh, sorry, verse 11 of chapter 37, and we see now that the reaction of the brothers has in fact changed, that they really, really are not only hating what Yaakov, uh, Yosef is saying, but in fact they're now jealous of him because they know that things are going to unravel. And truthfully, as we spoke last week and the week before, this is a multi-faceted, multi-level story insofar as we've got objective 2020 vision in understanding that come what may, whatever will happen, okay, um, the story is going to unfold the way it's supposed to be. There was prophecy given to Abraham, okay, and we know that they have to go down to Egypt. So come what may, this is going to happen. So whilst we see what's happening on the ground because there's a much more limited view, what is happening from a much greater viewpoint is it was supposed to happen. So we are now going to look at verse 12 of chapter 37. The brothers left to tend their father's sheep in Shechem. Now, if anybody is sitting and listening to this and you do have a Chumash open in front of you, a Bible open in front of you, if you go look at this verse, you find something, something interesting, okay? It says there, um, the word et. If you look at the word et, which 
it's, it's a preposition. It really means absolutely nothing in English. Okay. His brothers tended, left to tend at their father's sheep. Okay. You will see that it has a couple of li- uh, dots on it. Okay. And dots represent has been left out. Been left out of the verse. Yosef's brothers left to tend their father's sheep and Shrem. They are told behind the scenes, this is what... IFM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Well, that's us again. It seems like we had a little bit of technical difficulties, but we're back on... Uh, on, on the radio, as you just listened to that little bit of music, thank Hashem, it was good. <laughs> Sometimes we do get hitches in our lives and we just need to move forward. Okay, let's go back to what we were discussing. We were saying that the word et has dots on it, which means that there is a deletion of a concept here. And really what was in truth was that the primary intention of the brothers moving away to Shechem, of all places, was not to tend to the sheep, but to conspire and to plan what they would want to do with Joseph. They had had enough of Joseph and his shenanigans, and um, they needed some time out, some space away, in order for them to try work out what to do. Let's continue following in verse 13 of chapter 37. Vayome Yisrael Yosef, Jacob says to Yosef, aren't your brothers shepherding or tending to the sheep in Shechem? Please come, I want to send you to them. By Yomerlo, and Yosef replies to him, Hineni, here I am. So on a basic level, it seems that Yaakov was saying, Look, I want to send you to your brothers. I'm fearful that the Chivites will attack them in revenge for the Shrem massacre. You remember that they had uh, almost destroyed Shrem, well, basically destroyed Shrem when it came to Dina's abduction. And if they were in that area, Yaakov was worried about them. And so he wanted to go and find out what was happening with his sons and his possessions. And so he chooses to send Yosef. Yosef, like a good son, who um, who knew that kibbutz av, that the commandment of honoring your father precedes everything, he knew very well that his brothers hated him. He could have gone and said, no, Tati, I don't want to go. You know, Dad, they don't really like me. He didn't refrain, however, from doing his father's bidding. And he knew, even with his uncle Asaph, who was very, very wicked, we knew that Asaph was uh, very, very careful in the mitzvah of Kibbut Av. And just like Asaph was happy to put himself in danger and hunt in the desert in order to bring fresh meat to his father, he willingly said to his father, I am here. By Yomerlos, so Jacob says to him, Lechna shlomachecha. Go and see, go look into the welfare of your brothers. And go look at the welfare of my sheep. And bring me a report. He sends, sends Yosef from the depths of Hebron and he sends, he comes off into Shechem. He, he, he comes, he comes to arrive in Shechem. 
Now, here's what's very interesting. Firstly, um, why does he say go get a wealth, go find a welfare on your brothers and on my belongings, on my sheep? And we are taught that this teaches good manners, that when a person meets a friend, not only should you ask how the friend himself is, but you should also inquire how's his wife, how's his children, how's all his different business affairs, because that's a concern that shows that one has concern and concern like this cements a friendship. And it says that when one comes and meets a tzaddik, one meets a saintly person, you will always see that they will inquire about another person's property, possessions, etc., etc., um, because those things are dear to them insofar as that they belong to the person and they do need to have that care. We see that as well when it comes to uh, Jacob earlier on. We learned that just before he came to meet Asaph at night, he crossed over the Yabuk River to collect just a few small things, a few small items. When one realizes that everything that one has belongs to you specifically for a reason, that God gave it to you for a reason, and it is there in your life because you're to use it in the service of God, then your attitude towards your possessions takes on a different level, takes on a different, you, 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 you gain a different attitude. And I think it's something that we, we need to really incorporate and integrate into our thinking, that everything that we have, our home, our, our cars, our money, all the stuff that we have is there because God has given it to us and therefore we need to use it in the service of God. And the converse is also true, by the way. If we do not have something, it is because God does not want us to have it. It's unnecessary for our avoider, our, our service of God. And it gives us an appreciation of that which we have. So, on one level, we can learn this where he goes and says, go see how my children are doing. Also, go see how my flock is doing. But what's even more interesting is Vayishlachehu me'emek Hebron. He sends them from the depths of Hebron, right, from the, the valley of Hebron, so to speak, to Shechem. Now, everybody will know, and anybody who has been fortunate enough to go visit Hebron. We know that Hebron's on top of a mountain. Right? How can the Torah describe him leaving Hebron as leaving the depths, the, the valley of, of Hebron? So our rabbis come and teach us this explains that this is just a metaphor, a hinting to the fact of what God told Abraham that between that covenant between the parts. God told Abraham that his offspring will be subjugated for 400 years in a foreign land. If you want to go check that all up, you can go back to, I think it's chapter 13, no, chapter 15 of Genesis, verse 13. Now, the 400-year period began, um, they would be considered foreigners, with the birth of Isaac. So they became foreigners from the time of Isaac, but subjugation did not begin until Yaakov's sons emigrated to Egypt. This process started when Yaakov sent Yosef now to Shechem. 
So what is the Torah saying that Jacob sent him from the depths of Hebron? What it was saying was that divine providence had decreed that Joseph would have to go down to Shechem so that that decree that he had promised Abraham would be fulfilled. So the depths of Hebron refers to the deep revelation that took place in Hebron in which God told Abraham that his, his descendants will be subjugated. It also refers to Abraham who is buried where? In the depths of Hebron. Remember in the Maharata Machpelah in the cave? He's buried in the depths of Hebron. Some other commentators go and say it's even further that this, in fact, alludes to the deep love that God had to Abraham. Um, now, we also would understand on a practical level that Yaakov knew that the brothers hated Yosef. So he should have not sent Yosef to them. If he wanted to find out about his sons, listen, he had many servants. He could have sent any one of them. Why does he, Dafka, go and send his favorite son into a pretty um, dangerous place? Okay. Why would he, why, why would he do such a thing? Because this is divine providence again. This is the understanding that Yosef was sent in order to fulfill a decree. So that, 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 that explains the depths of Hebron. That also explains a little why Yosef did not go and resist the whole thing because he knew by prophecy that something was supposed to happen. Yaakov understood it from his forefather Abraham, from his grandfather Abraham, that there was a destiny over here that needed to be filled. Okay, And our rabbis go and take it one other step on, on another level, saying that Yaakov sent Yosef because he thought that if his brothers saw that Yosef was making a special a special trip to inquire about their welfare, about the sheep, maybe they would react favorably towards him and maybe they would, in fact, improve their relationship. So again, you can see here, there are many things happening at the same time. There's divine providence happening. So what is going to happen will happen. And then there is the choices of uh, the, the human beings that they, that they are making and that practically will turn out. And we live in these two realities every single day of our lives all the time. I remember one time um, I was speaking to a, a certain lady who unfortunately went through a very difficult um, situation there was there was a, a robbery in her house while while she was having a party and um, they came in and they, they you know the, the guys took away cell phones and money and whatever have you thank God nobody was hurt and afterwards um, the lady the lady said to me well we were in the wrong place at the wrong time and I quipped back and I said no you were in the right place at the right time because if God had not willed it it wouldn't have happened what you, your part in playing with it is how you actually look at it. If you think you're in the wrong place in the wrong time, then you are going to have a tremendous amount of fear in thinking that this world is a roulette, a roulette game, that your luck, you know, is random. You don't believe that there are any lessons to be taken. You will land up 
hating, despising your government, the, the police, the inability to protect yourself, all of these negative things. And again, I'm not saying that these aren't real concerns. However, if you understand that you are in the right place at the right time and that God brought this into your life, then you understand that there are lessons to be learned in it. Maybe there's the practical lesson that you should up your security um, the practical lesson of learning and seeing that life isn't like a roulette and while that Hashem, God, did an incredible chesed for you and actually saved all of you. Nobody was hurt. Money and purses and phones can be replaced. There, there's a tremendous amount to learn on the positive side. So again, to reiterate, God runs this world. Things unravel with divine providence. But at the end of the day, where we make choices is in our attitude on how we see it and what our further actions will be in order to learn the lessons of where God brought us to. That is vitally important. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. All right, so now we've got Yosef going to find his brother's but look what happens. Verse 15. Let me read the whole sentence and then translate. A man finds him blundering around in the fields. He's, he's walking around, as we say in Afrikaans, doesn't know where he is. And the man asks him, saying, Matvakesh, what are you looking for? By Yomer, and so Yosef responds to him, "Et achai anochi mevakesh. I am looking for my brothers. Hagidanali eifuhem roim. Can you tell me where are they shepherding? Where 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 are they tending the sheep? By Yomer haish, the man replies, Nasu mizeh. They travelled from here. Kishamati oimrim nelcha. Dotana. I heard that they said they were going to a place called Dotan. Yosef follows them and he finds them in a place called Dotan. This looks like a couple of verses that really seemingly doesn't really matter. Like, does it really matter where he found them? Why did and an ish, a man, find him for blonzering around? Why was, you know, what's, what's this whole discussion all about? As we always know that if the Torah adds in words, verses, even a nakuda, a little dot, there is always something to learn. So who was this ish, this person that we actually see is repeated three times? Okay? It says, by Yimtsa'ehu ish. A man finds him. Then, and then the man asks them. And then it says, and then the man says to him, this is where the, who is this man? So we are told again in the Midrash that this man, in fact, was the angel Gabriel. He had come down from the heavenly court and had disguised himself as a human. And that's where he found Yosef blundering around in the fields. Now, 
what was going on with Yosef? Well, Yosef was so eager to obey his father that he looked all over for his brothers, okay? And he couldn't genuinely find them. Now, under normal circumstances, you go round and round and round, and remember, there's no cell phones, there's no GPS, there's no, hey, where are you? Can you please send me your pin so I can find you? After he fablons it around, okay, for so long, and any other person would have gone straight home and said, listen, I looked for my brothers, I couldn't find them. But Yosef knew really deep down inside that this was all about divine providence. And the fact that he was meeting this ish, this strange man that was finding him, talking to him, guiding him, said to him that someone is showing him the way because he needs to put an extra effort to go find his brothers. And so that is why he... He goes round and round and round. Now, there is also another insinuation um, in the verse, and that is that the man says, Vayomer ha'ish nasu mizeh. They moved on from this. What do you mean they moved on from this? Well, practically it means that they moved on from, from Shechem, that they went to Dotan now. But our rabbis read much, much deeper into that is that they had moved on, so to speak, away from brotherhood and feeling pity, and they were actually in a different psychological space. Now, their intent and their reason for moving away, as we went and said, was that they were finding an excuse to kill Yosef. Another thing that our rabbis bring to attention, they moved on from here, is to teach us that the brothers also wanted to avoid encountering Yosef, okay? Because they themselves, intuitively, deep down, somewhere along the line, knew that this next encounter was the beginning of the end, so to speak. It was the beginning of the Egyptian exile. So if they managed to move around, and they managed to avoid meeting Yosef, they would then be able to prolong the status quo. Lastly, they had a prophetic vision that the Chivites, those were the, the people from, from Shechem, were about to attack, attack them um, in revenge for what they had done many, many uh, years ago. And so they headed Toward north, northwards to a place called Dotan. So again, here we can see that there are many, many facets to what the angel had said. But nevertheless, because an angel came and was guiding Yosef, Yosef understood that there was a destiny to be fulfilled. I don't think that he understood um, completely what his brothers were going to do to him. But he knew that if his father had sent him, there was a reason for him to do things. And that is where he needs to go. Again, a very, very powerful lesson. And um, I would like to, to stop over here and just spend two, three minutes talking about a contemporary idea um, that was taught and very, very well known. And it actually works in with our uh, with with our topic so we're going to go 
for a little bit of a break so that I can have two, three minutes in succession to tell you the story. So don't go away. I'll be back shortly. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. So let me finish off with a story that I promised you. Um, this is a famous story about a group of women who were flying from New York to another city in the States for a convention. There were a group of Chabad Shluchot, a group of uh, emissaries of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, and they were joining a, I think it was a midwinter convention. And they had a very, very successful convention, and they all got back on the plane to return back to New York. And there, there, there was some trouble with the plane or, or weather concerns. I, th- I think it was weather concerns. Um, and they had to make a landing um, in another American city. And they, when they, they, it seemed at that point in time that they were not going to get back to New York for Shabbos. And uh, understandably, the ladies were a little bit uh, on edge. This happened maybe 20, 30 years ago. Um, there wasn't the concept of cell phones, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, there maybe were 20 of them. All of them worried how were their husbands going to survive Shabbat, how they were going to, you know, manage to make Shabbat, et cetera, et cetera. A whole lot of stuff. So they asked the, the, um, organizer to contact New York and to contact the office of the Lubavitcher Rebbe and to give a message over to the Rebbe that they're stuck in XYZ city. And please, can they have a blessing that they return safely back to their families um, at the appropriate time? The Rebbe gave back a very, very interesting uh, reply. He said, what does the word stuck mean? A Jew is never stuck. A Jew finds, and pl- finds himself in the place where God wants him or her to be. And if you find yourself in such a place, it's obvious that there is work to do. So go out and do the work. When the ladies got this message, they were quite taken aback, but at the same time quite enthusiastic. And off they went. Some of them went into the shopping malls and tried to encourage people to light Shabbat candles. And others went around the airport trying to find find other people and, and get them and encourage them, etc. And they did what they did. And things kind of like sorted themselves out. And they came back healthy, safe, and well back to New York. And uh, interestingly, after that, it was said that the Rebbe explained that when a person finds himself in a situation, this is where God wants him to be. There is something to do there. And he is sure that what they did there brought all their work, not only from the convention, but the work that they had done in, in that the, the city where they were stranded brought the work to completion and actually fulfilled the mission um, that they needed to do. And so I leave you with this idea. You know, while it, we can see the divine hand playing out and forcing Yosef on his way to Egypt, um, whenever we find ourselves in a place and we think that we're making decisions, we need to ask ourselves, we are in the right place at the right time. What is God expecting me to do? With that, I love and leave you. I'll see you back next week.